0: Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. All right, hey, let's put our hands together for Jesus one more time. Come on, everybody, why don't we put our hands together to 12 o'clock service. Let's go. 12 o'clock. I keep on telling the the 10 o'clock service My jokes all bomb in the 10 o'clock. No one claps. You guys are awesome, though. I want to preach more at the 12 o'clock service, personally. You guys are awake. You've had your Advil. I see some of you are wearing sunglasses. Good, good. Um, And we're going to get straight to it today. Uh, Last week, Pastor Justin, in this uh, great series we're doing, uh, preached a message about feeling attacked by people. What do we do when we feel attacked by people? And what we do is we forgive them. That's what we do, and we learned how to forgive appropriately last week. This week, I want to dive into a bigger, kind of more cosmic topic, okay? So you might have to put your thinking hats on. I might get emotional once or twice today. It's going to be a ride. It's going to be a bit of an adventure. I want to talk not about what happens when you feel attacked by people, but what happens when you feel attacked by life. What happens when you feel like something has happened in your life that is tragic? Because, because here's what I've found. Um, when, when we feel like life is attacking us or there's a circumstance or situation that happens to us that is evil or bad, instead of being mad at a person, we can begin to get mad at God. And, and I want to deal with this topic a little bit today, so please, while I'm preaching, be praying for me, because it's a big one. Amen? <laughs> so we, let's start with the Bible today. I just want to read a scripture. I'm going to give you the title. We're going to pray, and we're going to get right into it. John 11:32. 32. And I want to, write really quick, I want to give it up for Malaika and the media team today because in the first service, I'm telling you, the devil was attacking our media. The devil did not want the service to happen. (laughs) Oh my gosh, all the lights are on in here and it just kind of felt like we were at like a luncheon or something like that. It's like, okay, you know, I feel attacked. (laughs) It's all good. Um, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What do you do when you feel attacked by life? When, she saw, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along uh, with her, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. That's, this is awesome. Jesus kind of has like an anger moment. He sees their brokenness, and Jesus gets angry. That's what we're seeing right now. Where have you laid him, they asked. We're like, whoa. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I told the first service that I went to a Christian private school, and uh, in our French class, we had to memorize a scripture verse in French, and it's Jésus pleure" right there. <laughs> My wife's laughing at me because I failed in French, by the way. Uh, (laughs) praise God. Um, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. If you're taking notes today, you can write the title at the top of the page. Uh, The title of the message today is Good Grief. Good Grief. I want to talk about when reality attacks you, what do you do? And really the goal today, guys, is um, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions by the end of the message. So I want to cater your expectations. I want to give us some Bible on what to do when you are suffering, hurting, in pain, and you don't know what's going on because even though God's good, life is bad. That's what I want to do today, okay? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, would you speak through me today? God, reveal your word. Holy Spirit, help us to leave today knowing more about Jesus. God, in our pain and our suffering, God, we want to know you and we love you. And we trust you and we believe you. God bless everybody here today. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody say amen one more time. Amen. Um, has life ever attacked you? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not a, an old guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm 36 years old, and in the 36 short years that I've been here on planet Earth, I've experienced one or two things in life that I still maybe have a bit of a question mark about, and I literally felt like reality was attacking me. Uh, uh, about 10 years ago, I was working as a pastor in Surrey and making a youth pastor salary, which contrary to, uh, you know, what you might think is not very good. <laughs> and uh, so we were broke. Jen and I were living in my parents' basement with three kids, okay? We were just, we were popping out kids like, it was like, oh, they're just coming, you know? It was like that season, you know what I mean? So it was, we were, life was like a roll like, ah! You know, this is scary. Like, we were, we were moving, you know? And, and we never, ever thought we could ever own a home because of how much I was making and and like, just our, our situation was so busy, and how could we ever do more? And, and we were going through it. Many of you know that feeling. Maybe you're in school or you're, you're in a season right now. You're like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make beauty out of this. This is crazy. Well, a miracle happened in our life, and we had the opportunity to buy our first home in that place. And there was some supernatural provision and some supernatural opportunity and we moved into our first place in Surrey. It was a townhouse. Come on. When we bought it, what what it was, it was like 100 grand and now it's worth 27 million dollars right here in Vancouver. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, the funny thing is you barely laugh cuz you're like, I wonder if he's joking or not cuz that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite that, but 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 we were able to get into this place and I we literally called it our god house cuz it was a miracle. Like, God did a miracle in her life. Literally, I would drive home every day, and it was just gratitude for, for, for years, for six years, five years in this place. Every time I came home, I would give glory to God because I knew that was God's provision in my life. No doubt about it. Because God exists, because God loves me, he provided in a supernatural way. It was my God house. It was awesome. And then there's this thing that happened two or three years ago. I don't know if any of you heard about it. It's called a global pandemic. And the world started shutting down. And all of a sudden, all of my neighbors just got a little funny. And there's this thing that we were a part of in this townhouse. It's called the Strata Council. Does anybody know about the Satanic Strata Council? Come on. Anybody have that in your building? You know, it's like three ladies that control your life you know and you're like what, what? you know what I'm saying so the, the only mad people in the room are on the strata council okay and we love you jesus loves you too he's going to deliver you later okay so but our strata council just kind of started going crazy over covid and around my house uh, there was caution tape around all of the parks. The kids were not allowed to go outside. My house was like 35 or 40 degrees. It was a really, really hot summer. My kids were dying. I was like, run in that circle there, you know, and they're like trying to play and they're breaking everything and like they were just getting too big for this place. And my son Judah happens to be in a wheelchair, so it complicates things if we want to get outside and do something. And so we made a decision to break one of the strata rules. We were just going to let our kids play in front of our house on the lane for like 30 minutes to just get some fresh air, okay? So we did. We Went out there and Judas in his wheelchair. It was like the only place my wife could handle being out and doing something. And they were just running around in circles. And then all hell broke loose in our life as the uh, as the ladies on the Strata Council began to hate my kids and my family. And and for about the next six months. Um, we would get, we, people would be knocking on our door complaining about my family. People, and, and let me let me tell you guys, we're a really nice family, okay? Like, we, we keep it quiet. I don't party late. There's no 2 a.m. bangers going on at the leash residence, okay? Daddy's in bed, okay? <laughs> it's like, I've got a 9.30 bedtime, the kids are at 8. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we are not crazy people, but they just had a vendetta on our family because we were threatening their peace and quiet, and I really think that the joy of my children just bug them, okay? And, and, and we, we, we were getting fines. We had a fine for $120 for having the kids outside. And, and it was just a whole thing. Global News did an article on our family because everyone was outraged in our community about what was going on. They're like, there's a kid in a wheelchair that can't go outside. This is crazy, okay? Listen, this was my God house. God, why In the middle of the thing that you provided for me and gave me, is there so much suffering? It it all came to a a head on New Year's, the year my father-in-law had a heart attack and a stroke and recovered and is doing well. We were celebrating on New Year's, and to celebrate what we did is we had a three-song dance party planned at 8 p.m. before the kids went to bed. And we, were, we had glow sticks. My son had glow sticks in his wheelchair. My, my father-in-law was dressed in a dumb New Year's outfit. And what was the first song we played? We played, I got a feeling, woo-hoo, come on, that tonight's going to be a good night. Do, 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 do. And we, were, we started, and there's so much joy, and it's New Year's, and, and he's alive, and we're good, and God's good. And all of a sudden, I hear... Like, oh man. I said, Jenna, you need to go get the door because I'm going to lose it. And she went down there, and and it was my neighbor, and she said, Hey, turn the music down. And we said, Listen, three-song dance party before bed with the kids. We're just celebrating because it's New Year's. And she said, It's my New Year's too. Turn your music down. Literally, something just snapped on the inside of me. (laughs) And, and What happens when you feel attacked? I mean, every time I was coming home, I I started getting anxiety that people were watching us, that that people were were out to get our family, and and it might have been true, it might have not been true. I know it's just a silly illustration, guys, but I'm just trying to wade us into this tough topic at 30 kilometers an hour, and maybe you can relate. Maybe there are some things in your life that it seems like God has done a miracle, and he got you this far, but you don't know what to do, because wrapped up in the blessing and the love of God in your salvation as you walk with him, there's something attached to it that feels a lot like suffering. And in the middle of this season where you feel like God's doing the most, sometimes it can be during, at the same time, the most painful thing you've ever walked through, the most painful diagnosis that you've ever got, the most deep loneliness you've ever had where they left and this happened and something comes up from your childhood and you realize life isn't just turning out like you imagined or thought it would be. What do we do? When life is attacking us. Because if we're not careful, if I, as I mentioned before, if we don't have some Bible and theology to wrap around moments like that, instead of being angry at the devil, we're going to start to be mad at God himself. Because why are you doing this to me, Lord? The big question today is, do you know how to suffer? Do you know how? How to suffer. Because unfortunately, Jesus said, in this world, he promises, you will have trouble. But fear not, for I've overcome the world. So we as Christians need to know what to do when our friends and our family and ourselves are in a season of suffering. Now to think about this, I want to get into some, some deep philosophical theology. Are you guys okay with that? Are you ready to go on a little bit of a ride? I promise I'll explain it. I'll make it easy, and it'll be fun, and you can tell somebody this at a party, okay? That's kind of what I go for when we get into deep theology. I want to talk about these three desires that every single human has, okay? Every human has three desires that we call the transcendental desires. They're, they're transcendent desires that are greater than all of our other desires, and they're good desires to have, and they don't go away when you get to heaven. Actually, they, they, they kind of speak to not just something you have, but who you are. The transcendentals speak a little bit to who you are. And here's what they are. Watch this. You'll never get enough of these. And the reason heaven isn't boring is because we will be forever growing in these and enjoying these in heaven forever because they also speak to the essence of who God is. Watch this. The three transcendentals. They're goodness, truth, and beauty. Goodness, truth, and beauty. There was a theologian and a philosopher in the 12th century named Thomas Aquinas, and he brought these ideas that were discovered by the Greek philosophers Plato and Socrates into Christian thought and kind of canonized them as true. Because watch, God is good, he's true, and he's beautiful. That's who God is. And our our mind will never stop desiring to know more truth. And if we know more truth, it's always good. It's always good to get more truth. Watch this. Uh, uh, our heart, or sorry, our will will never stop wanting to do good. And when we do good and when something good happens to us, it's always good and it just keeps getting gooder and we never get full of being too good. More good is always good. Amen? More truth is always good. It's never good to have, like, more lies are always bad. More truth is always good. More bad is always bad. More good is always good. And and, and our heart always loves beauty. Our heart loves beauty. There's a reason, like, you're like, let's just go drive up to Whistler today. Like something happens in your soul when you see that bay and those mountains and those trees. My wife, every time we do, she's like, tears are pouring down her face. You're like, why are you crying? We're just driving. It's because, because our heart loves beauty. And when you see beautiful, you always want more beautiful. And God is good, true, and beautiful. And our heart will desire those things forever. And that's why heaven's not boring. That's how it works. Is that cool? Uh, th- there's a little kid that, that, that asked uh, a, a wise teacher, he said, When I get to heaven, how will I know which one is God? And the teacher goes, That's the best question I've ever heard. And he didn't know how to answer this kid. And, and, and he said, The Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment, and I knew how to answer the kid. And he said, God will be the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen and ever could see. And the kid went, You're right. And the student became the teacher, amen? The childlike faith knew that God was the most beautiful thing ever. See, and the three transcendental desires relate to the three theological virtues, okay? It's all nerd talk, theology nerd talk, but we're having fun, okay? Here's the th- you, know, you all know the three theological virtues. It's faith, hope, and love. First Corinthians 13 says, these three things, what do they do? They'll last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, Because you see, truth actually builds faith in our life. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we love sitting in church. It's a bizarre thing we're doing right now. We're literally sitting down in a room listening to like a nerdy Bible guy talk. A- and, it, and, and we're loving it, and it's good for our soul. We know it's good for our intellect to hear God's truth. When we hear the Bible, what it does is we learn more about how wonderful the Lord is, and it builds our faith in him. That's why you should never miss church, amen? Because your mind needs truth. We need to get in an environment where we hear more truth and more Bible, and we're going to keep learning more about God forever. That's how big God is. Watch this. And goodness, goodness gives birth to love because love is me wanting what's good for you. Without anything in return, that's called unconditional love. A, a father who loves his family wants good for his family, not bad for his family. And we sacrifice to give good to our friends and our family when we love them. That's what love is. The reason that God is love is because he's good. So, so, so what about beauty? Watch this. This is so beautiful. And this is what I want to talk about today. And this really, I, I believe, will help us deal with the suffering in our life and help us understand what, what we should do when we suffer is that beauty gives hope. When we see something beautiful, we're seeing something that gives us a little glimpse of how beautiful God is. Truly beautiful. Okay? Like when we listen to beautiful music, I'm not talking about Ariana Grande. I'm talking about Beethoven, man. Come on and Bach. It's objectively more beautiful to listen to Bach. Let me tell you, you might be bored, um, but, but it's beautiful. And and there's something about that beauty that, that I'm telling ta- the other day I am gonna share it later, but I was working out listening to Beethoven and I cried three times. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm emotionally unwell. <laughs> no, <just joking. laughs> but, but but beauty gives us hope. The reason my wife's crying on the sea to sky is because hope is rising up in her heart when she sees the beauty of God. Our soul's going, God God is real. He is alive. He does work. He is a creator. And down from the, the cells in our body that scientists study that work together, there's a, a beauty and a symmetry that's there that, that will make their soul cry out to God and worship God. And, and our heart loves, loves beauty. And, and, I, and I honestly believe that in, in the modern church today, and let Vivid Church never be, be like this and never believe this. But, but the, the evangelical church has been really good at trying to get better at truth. So our faith is pumped up. We, we've been pretty good at, at goodness and, and loving people and getting our connect cards and getting systems and, of hubs and, and things around love. But, but man, have we sucked at beauty. Maybe the reason that our churches don't give hope like they used to is because we've forgotten how to be beautiful. You know, my my friend Jonathan posted a picture of him in Montreal walking into a a beautiful cathedral. And and you know, like, have you ever tried to take a picture of a sunset and it's like majestic and you take a picture and your picture sucks? And you're like, it was better in person. Like, it's just like a red dot. And you're like, "Mm, it doesn't do it justice. You know, it's like this picture of the cathedral did it justice. I was like, whoa, that's beautiful. And I'm sure being there would have been even more beautiful. You know, they built those cathedrals. It would be like generations of a family building one wall. There'd be like a guy in the rafters making a bird for a 100 years, okay? Why? Because they valued beauty. Because beauty gave people hope. Someone once asked a priest, why don't you sell all the priceless artwork in your church and give the money to the poor? By the way, you got to be careful when people say that. That's what Judas said to Jesus when people were uh, performing costly worship on him. But he said, why don't you sell these paintings, give the money to the poor? He said, because then the poor would not have beauty and we would be robbing them of hope. Got to learn how to be more beautiful. Got to learn how to be more beautiful. Of course, give to the poor, love the poor, do everything you can to serve the poor. But don't forget that the poor and the rich, and we all need beauty in our lives so that we might live lives of hope. You say, well, Pastor Kobe, how, how do we live a beautiful life? I, I'm just not that handsome. I just don't, you know, like, like, huh? You know, how, how do we live a, a beautiful life? You know, I think one of the most beautiful people in in my world are some... Some of the people that have experienced the most brokenness. How does that work? Well, the Bible teaches us in Isaiah 61.3. It says this, to all who grieve, talking about good grief. Some translations say mourn in Israel. See, Israel's an archetype of the church. So this is what the Bible's saying. All who grieve in the church, this is what God's promising to do. He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. See, this is what God does. It's a great exchange. He takes your mess and your pain and your suffering, and He never wastes one single tear. He, he turns what the devil meant for evil into good in your life by trading your beauty or your ashes for beauty. He gives you beauty for ashes. Maybe the reason our churches have had a hard time being beautiful is that we need to realize building the cathedrals are great. We, we should have this space as beautiful as possible. I think that having beauty in our church does give the world a picture of how awesome God is and how passionate we are about doing that says something about our worship, okay? But, 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 but more and deeper than that, the, the West does not know how to suffer and our churches are just squeaky clean. And we walk in and go, hey, praise God, brother, praise God. Oh, yeah, let's hear some Bible and have some small groups. And we never suffer together. And we never cry together. And we don't know how to do that. And we feel embarrassed. And there's a culture where, where, where it's hard to be transparent. And I think that vivid church, maybe we should lead the way of being okay with having some ashes in our life so that God can trade those ashes and give us some beauty so that we might be one of the places that give hope to this city. Can I get a big amen? Come on. Hey, come on. If we can learn how to suffer, if we can have some Bible for when we're suffering, I'm telling you, our life is going to look more beautiful. And that hunger everybody has to love beauty it's going to draw them closer to Jesus because God did a miracle in your life by a great exchange taking place in your heart. God trades beauty for ashes, so if we want to be beautiful and we want to give the world hope, we want to learn how to have good grief, when life is attacking us, we need to go to God who trades beauty for ashes. I want to talk about three types of suffering as we dive into this, and then we're going to get into the story of Lazarus because the first two types of suffering are Good. There's good suffering, and then there's bad suffering, and and, and Lazarus is going to help us with the bad suffering. But first, I want to talk about two types, or three types of suffering. First one's good. Self-discipline. That's good. It's not good if we elevate self-discipline above our love for God. It's not good if we make that the primary thing. Anything we make the primary thing in our life that's not God becomes an idol, So sometimes it's like self-discipline idle stuff that you're just like, that's who I am. I'm like, no, you're a child of God. Serve God. But have self-discipline. It's good. With self-discipline, what we do is we say, God, my body, my soul, my mind belong to you. And I'm going to discipline myself to make them more obedient to Jesus. I'm going to participate in your grace by receiving the grace that I need, and then obeying you in taking care of this temple and this mind that you've given me to give you maximum glory with my life. When we don't have self-discipline, oftentimes our lives don't honor God like they should. 1 Corinthians 9, check this out. This is Paul. Watch what he says. This is so crazy. This is one of the greatest pastors that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Watch this. I discipline my body like an athlete. This is the Apostle Paul. Training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that my preaching to others, uh, that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Whoa. That's Paul. He's saying my preaching is so good that I could preach my whole life and people would get their life changed, but if I don't employ some self-discipline to obey the principles that I've learned, I, it could be all for nothing in my life. So, so he puts in, in his inner David Goggins, you know, you don't know me, son, you know? And he starts lifting some, literally Paul started training his body, not because he wanted big muscles, but because he wanted energy, capacity, mental clarity in order to serve for as long as possible. It's good. It's good to get up in the morning every once in a while. Come on, breathe that fresh air. Get to the gym and listen to some Beethoven. It'll change your life. You know what I'm saying? Come on, guys. I put on the COVID-19 too. I got some work to do. You know what I'm saying? I, my, I look at my shoes for half an hour in the morning, not wanting to go on a run. That, that happens to me too, but it's good for me. I want to be a dad for a long time. I want to honor the Lord with my body. I want to serve you for as long as I can. Man, it takes a lot of energy to preach two sermons on a Sunday and then fly to Toronto and do a bunch of stuff over there. And that's what the pastors on this team are doing. So we hold each other accountable to our self-discipline because in our self-discipline, we can worship God if we do it correctly. Come on, church. Amen. Not a lot of amens in the self-discipline part. It's all good. <laughs> it's conviction. Um, two is God's discipline. God's discipline is good. <laughs> Listen, God, God's good. He doesn't do evil things to you. That's, that's the next point. But, but he will discipline you. Look what the Bible says, Proverbs twelve six, Because <clears throat> the Lord... <coughs> woo! I need to run more. That's what that was. I'm too tired. So self-discipline. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Wow. God doesn't discipline you because he hates you. He's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. He punished Jesus on the cross for you. He's disciplining you because he loves you. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. So so some of us have a problem with thinking about God's discipline because we received inappropriate discipline from our Father. God's a perfect Father. He disciplines you perfectly because he loves you perfectly. See, and I, I don't see God's discipline as like a great spank from the heavens, okay? God's not spanking you. God's working disciplines into your life systematically because he loves you. He's disciplining you. He's making you more disciplined so that you can be more like Jesus. He's your desires and, and, and your your will is becoming more attracted to being more like Christ, and he's disciplining you. I, I like to think that God maybe. Have you ever had like a, a rock in your shoe? It's so annoying. And you're walking and you're like, oh my gosh, I got a little irritation in my shoe. And you just want to, like so badly, there's nothing you want to do than, more than take your shoe off and get that rock out and then it feels so good. I think that sometimes God puts little rocks in your shoes. Like something just uncomfortable. It's not evil, it's just uncomfortable in your life. To, to discipline you, to make you more like Jesus. My wife and I call them grace growers. A grace grower is a person that God loves loves, that you don't quite like yet, that he's put you in your life to make more, you more like Jesus. Come on, anybody got some grace growers in your office? Amen. The strata. <laughs> the grace growers. It's not comfortable. Why is this happening to me? Maybe God's trying to make you more like Jesus by loving people that he loves as annoying as they are. I'm not saying you have to let someone abuse you. That is not cool. We don't give trust. We give forgiveness when that happens, and then we create boundaries. That is a very Christian thing to do. But there are some people that God really loves that are kind of difficult for you to hang out with that you need to become a better person and more like Jesus by allowing the discipline of the Lord to make you spend some time with them. Maybe you should join a team here at Vivid and meet some grace growers. Can I get a big amen? You get to serve with me every week. I'm going to be bugging you, bothering you, asking you to do stuff. You're like, Pastor Kobe's my biggest grace grower. He's disciplined. He's the thorn in my flesh, you know? But God will create his discipline in your life. It's self-discipline, God's discipline, but then the third kind of suffering is the fallen nature of the universe. This is when life attacks you. See, see, some, there, there are some that believe that God even causes the evil things to happen to us. I don't believe that. I believe that God is good. What flows out of him is good, and he cannot do evil. Evil is a result of us being in charge of the world in the garden and then sinning and breaking the world. Evil is literally our fault. In disobedience to God, we said, we've got this, Lord, and we did things our way, and we broke the earth. Uh, Some theologians believe that the soul and body are so connected that when our soul fell into sin, we broke our body and the rest of reality because heaven and earth are closer than you think. The earth is broken. We broke it. That's why we needed Jesus. Jesus. And sometimes you have that moment in your life where there's a suffering that you just can't bear. And friend, God did not do that to you. That's the, the world's broken that we live in. We all know it. It's touched our family. It's touched our lives. We just went through a pandemic. We've never suffered like this in the West before. And so people are either hating God or flocking to church. And unfortunately, a lot of us pastors haven't done our research and we don't have as many answers as we should. And, and at Vivid, we're just trying to say, we're just trying to help. We're in it with you. But the world's broken. So, so, so what happens then? I think the story of Lazarus is so helpful to understanding God's heart and his actions when people he loves are suffering. Look what the Bible says in John 11, 1. The Bible says, a man, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This was the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. The first thing that I noticed. Is is insane. God waits. The, the one he loves is suffering. And somehow, some way, in this situation, that engages the patience of God. And the first thing that I always want to ask when I see this is God, why do you wait? If you're omniscient, all powerful, and 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 you're you're mighty. Why don't you just send a lightning bolt to smite the Strata Council? Like, what? Like, I'm the one you love, Lord. I'm, I'm walking in your miracle. Where are you? Why? Why can't I just play outside? Why did, why, why did that heart attack? Why, why, why is it still so? Why are you waiting? Uh, there, there's a book in the Bible called Job. And, and Job asks these same questions. Uh, I, I really recommend everybody needs to read the book of Job, but read it with wisdom, okay? It's a book you need to read with wisdom, but get wisdom, ask God for it, and read it. Because Job is a book of a man who is suffering in an unjust way beyond what he can bear. And, and the book is literally about God being on trial. Job is in a courtroom, and God is sitting beside the judge, and Job is putting God on trial for his goodness. Look what's happened to me, Lord. How are you good when this is happening? How do evil people, how are they so healthy and happy? And I'm broken, and I've loved you my whole life. What are you doing to me, Lord? He's putting the Lord on trial. And it's insane. While Job's suffering, Job's three friends, uh, just to start answering his questions, and their answers are like theologically correct. It's like, "Hey, you must have have some sin in your life, Job. you're not perfect. God's perfect." And they start speaking to Job. Then finally God shows up, and it's crazy. You know what God does? He rebukes Job's friends. He said, "Those answers might be true, but they're not helpful. Because when we are suffering, the last thing we need is answers. We actually need love. We need love. And then God, it's insane. He never answers any of Job's questions ever. (laughs) Never. He's asking so many questions. And God just says this. Uh, He literally says, uh, gird up your loins and face me like a man. I have some questions for you. Where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? And God starts to question Job. And see, Job learns four things. and, And they're the things that I think god's longing lovingly for us to learn in the middle of our pain i know it doesn't help the pain but i'm just trying to give us some bible okay job learns three things he learns who he is he's the guy that's broken and has no answers he learns who god is god is the holy god that knows everything and has all the answers and then watch this he sees god face to face in, in Jewish thinking, that was impossible. You would die. Job, in his suffering, has more intimacy with God than anyone who's ever lived. And then four, it's better for Job after than it was before. God, God used it. You, you know why God waits? I don't know. I don't have the answers. I just know that in the middle of my suffering, I'm going to find out who I am. I'm going to find out who God is. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And he's going to work it for good. That's all I know. I don't have the answer. The Bible says God works all things together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. I don't believe God wastes one tear you've ever cried. God uses it. He takes what the devil meant for evil and he makes him pay. By the harder the devil hits you, the the more he makes your life shine the hope of Jesus. That's all I know. And and I also know this, that the one second we're here on planet Earth compared to the eternity that we have with Jesus is so stinking short. But God is so faithful, even with that one second. Because look what point number two is. The Bible says that God waits, but then God weeps. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, maybe one of the most powerful. Watch, in ten seconds, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There is about to be a party. Better than my New Year celebration. A resurrection's about to take place. Yet Jesus waits. And then in the middle of their pain, he weeps. Jesus grieves. He gets angry. Like he goes through the five stages of grief. He's like angry, asking questions and then he just breaks down and cries. And, uh, we, we know that this is not just um, uh, a momentary thing that's happening in Scripture, but it's an eschatological picture of, of the end when Jesus comes back to make all things new. Uh, see, the reason Jesus waited was he actually said, why? He said, so that God might get glory out of this. And if Jesus didn't wait, we would have just seen a healing. But because Jesus waited, we saw a resurrection. And we saw that Jesus isn't just the God over sickness. He's also the God over death. See, Jesus was helping us see who he is by waiting and through suffering. So we can trust him that at the end he'll come back. And he'll make all things new and all things right. But in the meantime, he wept. See, see, that eternal picture. God sees everything. You're all good. We're with him forever. It's all made right in the end. And we'll have answers, but, but he knows we're, we're in the tension between then and now. and so, so where's Jesus in your suffering? He's weeping with you. That's my God. My God weeps. The last thing God does is God works. The Bible says that he did it. He did the miracle. He, he worked all things together for good in the end. But I'm not going to lie, that that scripture never gives me quite as much hope as I think it will, because I read it, and I'm like, that's great for Lazarus, but what about me? I'm still in the grave. I still have this situation. And and that picture of end times reminds us that we are in the tension between point two and point three, The, the waiting, the weeping, and the working. And so what's going to happen in our soul? Well, God's going to take what the devil meant for evil. He's going to turn around and use it for good. You're going to find out who you are. You're going to find out who God is. You're going to see Jesus face to face. And he's going to work in your life in a miraculous way. You know, uh, our staff confronted me and they're like, I love your son Judah too. But maybe only talk about him every second sermon because he works his way into all of them. If you've been coming to our church for a while, you know. Okay, But I have a son named Judah. I told him this week I'm going to talk about him. And uh, he was really sick when he was born. He has uh, cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair. He's the sweetest guy ever. And when when he first came home from the hospital, he was really sick. He was on a ventilator. And uh, we needed nurses to live in our home overnight to watch Judah so that he wouldn't suffocate in his sleep. And if they called in sick, my wife and I would take shifts. And so I would just be staying up all night, you know, and, and uh, by the way, it's really good for your marriage for something like that to happen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So you don't know whether to laugh or not. You should. It's all good. You have a dark sense of humor when you've been through pain. I love you. Um, but I was staying up one night all night, and I was really frustrated, frustrated with life, frustrated with the situation, exhausted, hurting, asking some of these questions. And Judah was, if he would sleep nicely, it was great. I could kind of like rest. But if he was fussy... You're just up all night working this machinery that you don't have training to work. And I got really, really frustrated. And I did something. I'm going to confess to you right now. I'm not excited about it, but God used it. This is what I did. He was sleeping. He didn't know the English language, so he's not traumatized for me doing this. But I leaned into his crib, and I said, you ruined my life! You ever had a moment like that? Just comes out like a volcano. And it was almost a prayer. Like I was screaming at God, what's going on? And in that moment, God spoke to me. You know what he said? He said, yes, he did. I was like, God, that's not helpful at all. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, oh, my, my guy, you know. He's like, no, he ruined your life. He, he, he ruined your silly, li-. this is what God was doing. Literally, he's speaking this to my spirit. Silly little life. Ooh, he's almost like mocking my dreams. Like, Lord, you know. He's like, your silly dreams, the way you thought it would be. Oh, you know, and I was like, and I came to this moment where I just kind of laid it at the feet of God. And he said, Yes, your son ruined your life. But I specialize in trading beauty for ashes. And I'm going to take this situation. And, and it's going to be so much better than your silly life ever could be because I'm going to take what the devil meant for evil and work it to something wonderful and beautiful in your life. Amen. So I want to show you a picture because this is what God does. This is the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. My wife's like, in the front row, like, why are you showing them that? It's on your Instagram, sweetheart. I don't know why, but I saw this. You know the amount of joy that gave me? Okay, it's cute. It's cute. It's objectively cute. But to me, it's beautiful. Because I didn't know if they'd be here. And I didn't know if he'd be able to have joy. I didn't know if he could stick his tongue out. Like, for you guys, it's cute. For me, it's beautiful because that's proof that God takes your ashes and he makes it into something that's so wonderful in your life. And I wouldn't wish our suffering on my worst enemy, but I'm so grateful to God that the God that walked with me through suffering didn't just answer all my questions, but he loved me, and I saw him, and he's working it together for good, and now our life gives people hope. Like, we need more of this in our church, guys. God's going to use it. you got to lay it at his feet. But Because watch this. This next picture, it's the last thing I'm going to show you, then we're going to pray. This is the most beautiful picture that's ever existed in the universe. Let's see it. That's our God. Like, it's insane that that's beautiful. That's horrible. But he's the God that gives beauty for ashes. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's the suffering Savior, Savior who walks with you through the worst moments of your life and weeps with you and was broken for you and beaten for you so that you could have everlasting life. And the Bible says that forever. Jesus never got healed of his wounds because they're beautiful. They're beautiful. You get to touch his wounds when you get to heaven. I want to pray for you today. Can you close your eyes from the front to the back? Hey, if you're going through something painful right now, just look to God. Just give it to the Lord. Lay it before his feet. Say, God, I, I don't have any answers. I don't, I don't know what questions to ask, but God, I love you. I trust you. Help me. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vividchurch. Or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.